Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This word in your ear, Mark, is brought to you thanks to NordVPN. And I know that you are in a position to tell me what those mysterious three letters stand for. I'm quietly confident it means virtual private network. In fact, I'm going to say it again. Such is my confidence. Virtual private network. It does indeed. And what is that, Mark? It's a way to keep your data safe on the internet whenever you're logging in either at home or abroad, as I know you frequently are. Uh, VPN, which stands for, again, Mark? Virtual Private Network. Thank you. It protects your identity and encrypts your data so that nobody can steal your identity. And at the same time, it enables you to access the internet via service in more than 50, count them, 50 different countries. And this means you can often sidestep region restrictions and stream movies and TV programs from all around the world. What have you been watching, Mark? You've been watching The Italian Job. We saw The Italian Job last night. What a bank holiday thing to do. What a fantastic (laughs) film that still is. Utterly preposterous, every single aspect of it. Do you think? It's wonderful. It's it's, It's just preposterous, the idea that could possibly have happened, that these little devices would have stopped the traffic cameras and they would have got through the you know, the, the traffic jam and the, you know, and the, the bit where the, the minis get into the coach at the end, you know, they do that in broad daylight on a motorway when they could quite easily have just pulled off the motorway, gone in the back, you know, everything's just, nothing stacks up, but it's just a fantastic film. So funny. I think. But it's one of those films that is just a reference point all the way all, all through your life, isn't it? You know, our next door neighbor, they, um, they had um, three minis parked outside the house recently you know and everyone two, would have said the same thing two belonging to the family and two to a, one to a visitor and i just when i saw tom next door i said what are you doing a remake of the italian that's job? right yeah, you know. everyone would know what you mean <laughs> absolutely know what you mean so yes it's a kind of the sales of minis must have gone through the roof after that must have yeah absolutely my favorite bit of the italian job is noel coward is mr bridger mr bridger in the toilet pres- broken it's- into broken into <laughs> yeah, that's right. so he turns up to see the the governor of the prison who's played by john missouri and sits down at, at, at his at a table and then beckons the governor to him doesn't it 
It's fantastic. <laughs> Wonderful. Anyway, back to NordVPN. You can take advantage of a deal where you can try NordVPN by going to nordvpn.com slash your ear or just use the code your ear to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan and one additional month for free and a bonus gift. And it's risk-free because there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. Full details are in the show notes. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. I've got a stack audit game for you, Mark. Excellent. And this is how it works. Okay. These are uh, songs that you couldn't record nowadays and may not have done back then. Okay. So (laughs) so I'm going to give you five titles that wouldn't get past a radio program director nowadays, but did back in the day. Very good. I like it. Okay, five of them, but one of them is not a song title, okay? But five of them, five of them were song titles and recorded by immensely familiar, probably Grammy-winning, Brit Award-winning performers. So there's nothing obscure here, okay? Here we go. Here are the five. You've got to spot the one that isn't a song title. Okay. Rip her to shreds. Rip her to shreds. Yep. Somebody's going to get their head kicked in tonight. Somebody's going to get their head kicked in tonight. Slave. Slave. Twelve chinks and a woman. Twelve chinks and a woman. And raped and freezing. Raped and freezing. Okay. There are the five. Four of them were songs recorded by very familiar artists. And fifth of of them, I've just put in there, I've taken it from another source. What do you say, Mark? God. God almighty. Ripper to shreds. I've got a blondie feeling about that. You're absolutely right. I think and someone's going to get their head kicked in tonight. Well, that definitely happened, didn't it? I think it was the specials, but it probably wasn't the specials. No, it wasn't. It was Fleetwood Mac. Fleetwood Mac, that's right. Fleetwood Mac in the early days. It was. Un- under the guise, I, they used to perform it occasionally under the guise of Earl Vincent and the Valiants, because that yes. was Jeremy Spencer's kind of cod Ted act. But he, yeah, he was yeah. a B-side, he was a B-side, something like Albatross or whatever. Anyway, go on, carry on. Twelve Chinks and a Woman. <laughs> Did that really happen? I'm thinking it might have done, actually. This is difficult. Slave, I've got some connection again with Prince here, but I don't think he ever recorded anything called Slave. He certainly certainly had it written on his face, didn't he? Raped and freezing. My good God. Um, A Nirvana connection again? I'm going to say, Dave, I'm going to say that it's... I'd say the one you made up was 12 Chinks and a Woman. Yes, you're right. I didn't make it up. It's a title of a, of a hard-boiled pulp novel by James Hadley Chase, published in the in the early 50s. You know, kind of very kind of a Mickey Spillane-type territory. So, yeah, that was the ringer in this sense. So, Ripper Shreds at Blondie. Somebody's going to get their head kicked in tonight with Fleetwood Mac. Slaves, Elton John. It's on Elton John, shit. are you kidding? No. <laughs> It's on. It's on. Uh, it's on. Um, Honky Chateau, along with I think I'm going to kill myself, 
which again oh, you wouldn't well, put again, out. You know, you would they, do that, that wouldn't be very warmly received, would it? Uh, Twelve chinks in woman, as I say, was James Hadley Chase, and rate and freezing is Alice Cooper from Billion Dollar. Of course, of course. <laughs> I but at the time, you just shrugged. Yeah, you did. You just shrugged. <laughs> That's Alice being Alice. Yeah. So That's what like have you got? Have you got on for me? I got a very, very quick, very pathetically linked to the coronation, right? All right. Five yeah. Jamaican reggae musicians spot the ringer. Okay. <laughs> King Sporty, Ooh. King Hammond, King Stitt, King Jammy, and King Sounds. Oh my God. Five of those are Jamaican reggae musicians and one isn't. I've got to, I, I, I got to, I'm going to say King Jammy is not. King Jammy, King Jammy was dub mixer and producer in King Tubby's studio. King Tubby, in fact, there's no one. Hey, there you King go. Stitt was a 50s DJ on uh, Sir Cox and Dodd's uh, sound system. King Sounds. Jamaican DJ and recording artist. He used to support uh, Asward. Uh, King Sport, he was the co-writer of Buffalo Soldier by Bob Marley and a DJ. No, King Hammond. It's King Hammond because he was the bass player in Bad Manners. There you go. Oh, very good. That's very good work. Tell me, have you ever heard of a song called 13 Women and Only One Man? Do you know this song? No, no, no. Go on. Okay, I'm going to tell you a story of this song because it played a very significant part in the history of popular music in the in the uh, in the kind of um, you know, last 60, 70 years. Yeah, it's a song written in I think nineteen fifty four, and uh, the songwriter at the time thought it would be rather rather attractive to people to posit the idea that a nuclear explosion left behind, left the town so devastated that it left 13 women and only one man and wouldn't that wouldn't that make up for the for the uh, <laughs> the inconvenience of having your entire extended family and friends wiped out suddenly this has become some kind of fantasy suddenly you're there with the 13 women you know so that was the refrain 13 women and only one man and anyway a producer at uh, Decca Records in uh, in the United States is very keen on this song and pressed it upon his most recent signing, who didn't really particularly want to do it, but he, he insisted they did it, and so there was the usual three-hour session in New York at Pythian Studios, I think I'm correct to say, where the performer was, you know, forced to do the song and did it again and again and again until they had a take that they were happy with. And then at the end of it, they quickly knocked out the B-side in two takes. They had to edit together the two takes to to make an acceptable B side, and uh, and the record came out, and uh, and nobody liked the A side, but they liked the B side. Do you know what the B side was? Rock, Rock around the clock by Bill Haley. No, <laughs> yes. So no. so it gets flipped. Okay, it gets flipped. So thirteen women and only one man, you know, disappears to become a footnote of history. Rock around the clock is a kind of hit, but not a huge hit. And do you know how it becomes an enormous hit? This owes a great deal to a, a nine-year-old boy in Hollywood, California, called Peter Ford. And Peter Ford was the child of privilege because his uh, father was Glenn Ford, the actor, and his mother was Eleanor Powell, the fabulous dancer. And, uh, you know, so he was a kind of... Averagely spoiled Hollywood kid. Yeah, got what he wanted, and uh, what he good wanted. Start. What he wanted were records. That was really keen on, you know. So he was he was very ahead of the game in 
in terms of Hollywood. You know, he liked rock and roll records. He liked records that mentioned rock and roll. And anyway, his father was cast in a film called The Blackboard Jungle. Oh, I can see where this is going. Yeah. And and the it's quite interesting that that was part of a kind of a, a spate of juvenile delinquent films that had started with the Marlon Brando film, The Wild One, where Marlon yeah. Brando rides into town at the head of the motorcycle gang and the woman says, what are you rebelling against? He goes, I don't know, what do you, you got? got? You know, and uh, what's interesting is those early teenage rebellion films. The music that they that the kids apparently liked was swing music, was you know hot big band music. That's what they danced to. Where the director of the Blackboard Jungle thought, no, you wanted to do something a bit different. So on an evening round at Glenn Ford's house. Glenn Ford said, just go and see my son and get him to play you some of his records. He likes that kind of thing. And so one of the records this land played to him was Rock Around the Clock by Bill Haley. Incredible. And the director thought, do you know, that would work. That would work in the film. And so... But that, that wasn't the B side of this album. It's been flipped to the A side. Well, by it? then it became the yeah. A side. But, you know, it sort of didn't matter to him. You know? Yeah, yeah. But if you go and look at Blackboard Jungle, and the thing everybody talks about who remember seeing it when it first came into movie theatres, either in the United States or in Britain, was the impact of the opening titles, the Blackboard Jungle, and then one, two, three o'clock, five o'clock, you know. And people used to get up in theatres and dance yeah. at the opening of that film. And I think one of the reasons was they'd probably never heard loud music before because you couldn't make music loud. No, it's the fact yeah. that it was on a huge sound system, wasn't it? it? A, yeah, even in the 50s, you know, it was, it was yeah. better in those days. And so thus began the whole twinning of the ideas of kind of teenage rebellion with rock and roll music. It's all because Peter Ford, nine-year-old Peter Ford, said... Played this, he played this record to the director. And thus, you know, everything began. That's a fantastic story, isn't it? The Word Podcast. Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. So Gordon Lightfoot died uh, this week, aged whatever he was, 84. And it's funny how I, I, I just didn't really know anything about him. No, no, I remember me. him on the Rolling Thunder tour. There's an amazing clip of Joni Mitchell playing Coyote on the Rolling Thunder tour, recorded at his house, and he's in the background uh, wandering about. And he did Sundown. He did If You Could Read My Mind. And, uh, you know, and best known, I guess, for me anyway, for Early Morning Rain, which Dylan, you know, covered on Self-Portrait. And he's one of those people who's always in the same category as Jimmy Webb, really, people who were just, who other songwriters revered, but you just didn't know much about them. They had some success themselves. And uh, Dylan always put him in the same category as Jimmy Buffett, Guy Clark, Warren Zevon and, and, and Randy Newman, those kind of storytelling songwriters. And uh, I mean, do you know the song Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald? Not really, no. Go on, tell me. It's a fantastic song, I think, and which kind of made his reputation, certainly in, in, in Canada. And, uh, and obviously really influenced Dylan's Tempest, which is, which is another acoustic waltz about a, about a shipwreck, you know. But it's a story about the, 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 the sinking of the Great Lakes freighter that uh, went down on, on Lake Superior on November the 10th in 1975 and this terrible storm in which 29 people died, you know. And uh, I think it's absolutely wonderful. Again, it's, 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 it's this haunting 
acoustic waltz, and it's very journalistic, like uh, like Hattie Carroll. And so he's, it's a bit like, you remember that where Dylan sounds like he's reading from a newspaper report. You know, William Zanzinger, who had 24 years, owns a tobacco farm of 600 acres, et cetera. Mm. And it's the same as with a load of iron ore, 26,000 tons more than the Edmund Fitzgerald weighed empty. That good ship and true was a bone to be chewed when the gales of November came early. It's got, it's really fantastically powerful poetry. You know, the lake, it is said, never gives up her dead when the skies of November turn gloomy. And, uh, and it's full of those little details, too. Um, you know, at 7 p.m., a main hatchway caved in, and the cook said, fellas, it's been good to know you. Yeah, I, I think it's a really, really extraordinary, extraordinary piece of poetry. And it ends with this really chilling image of the, of the cavernous depths of the lake. Superior sings in the rooms of her ice water mansion. And uh, yeah, that's and on the anniversary of that ship going down, they, they always play that on national radio. It's a big Canadian, uh, big Canadian, here, and really made his reputation. And it surprised, surprised me because I um, I was aware of that song, and I probably heard it years ago, but I, I never focused on it. it. What surprises me is it's, it, the events it describes took place as recently as 1975. Yeah, it was very recent, yeah. Because and that came out about nine months later, I think, or six months later. I really, because yeah, yeah, at the time, people don't normally do that, do they? They no. sort of there's a kind of feeling that things have to recede sufficiently far into history for it to be to be to be no question of taste about turning it into a piece of entertainment, if you like, you know. I don't think there was ever that issue. I think people just thought it was just him commemorating the terrible, you know, death of these of all these, mm. these sailors. You know, and the idea that the boat set off massively overloaded, and then we hit this terrible storm, so they just didn't stand a chance. It's an amazing song. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. This is a junction in the word podcast. It separates that bit from this next bit. If you haven't already done so, make sure you got your tickets for a Word in the Park, which is uh, June the 3rd in Holland Park in West London, where we'll be joined by uh, John Higgs talking about his book about the Beatles and James Bond and the British psyche. We're joined by Bob Stanley talking about his book about uh, the Bee Gees, uh, Leslie Ann Jones, Celebrating, marking, it'll be 60 years almost to the day since the first release of the first Rolling Stones record. And uh, Claire Grogan, marking almost 40 years to the day since she was on the cover of Smashes with altered images. No less memorable. Uh, so all four of them Strong will Strong stories from top to bottom. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it's going to be good. Uh, it's going to be good. The weather's going to be wonderful. It's beautiful surroundings, even if you've never been before. It's the perfect literature festival experience with two major differences. One, you don't have to go into the middle of nowhere to find it because it's, you know, in, 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 in right West. by a tube station. Yeah. And, and two, it starts at two o'clock and it finishes at 4.30. So, you know, it doesn't make any it's massive demands on your stamina. There's no stress involved. So, um, and it's yeah. also kind of weatherproof, isn't it? Because I'm in this incredible marquee, which is kind of it's an open topped, it's covered with it's a canvas covered auditorium, isn't it? With open sides. And we like to say it lets the sunshine in but keeps any rain off. It's the, it's the ideal combination, isn't it? So, yes. details of how to get tickets below. Uh, if you're in the bath area next week, I'm actually uh, next Saturday. 
I'm at the uh, Bath Festival where I'll be talking to John Higgs. John Higgs and I will be talking about his book and my book at the Bath Festival. So if you're down there, please come along. Um, what were you talking about? Rufus Wainwright, I sent you this the other day, didn't I? Oh, yeah. Rufus Wainwright has, has made a, a new recording of Neil Young's Harvest with, um, is it Chris Stills? Stephen Stills? It is, son? Stephen Stills, yeah. It's off a whole record. It's got a record called Folkocracy, isn't it? Which has just got old folk tunes on it. Shenandoah and Cotton Eye Joe and Arthur McBride, Wild Mountain Time, you know. So in a way, he's kind of... Harvest is being kind of seen in that context now, isn't it? As being a kind of part of our folk heritage. Yes. Whereas it was, <laughs> you just, know what I mean? it was written in 1971 or whatever. I yeah. know, I know. Funny. The thing that struck me, I, and I listened to it, and I thought, oh, this, this is pleasant, you know, and and it's nice. But I, I go back and listen to Neil Young's Harvest, and the, there's two things that, yeah, that strike me. I think it's that, that that record's got my favourite drum sound ever. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Kenny Buttery, the Nashville drummer. Um, and the, the story of how those tracks were done on Harvest is Neil Young just happened to be in Nashville recording his contributions to a TV show which was hosted by Johnny Cash where Johnny Cash was kind of saluting the new generation of singer-songwriters, and James Taylor was on the same one, and Linda Ronstadt was on the same one, and Neil Young was there. And I think it's Elliot Mazer who had just opened a studio in Nashville, and he wanted him to record that. And so he said, all right, I'll record that. So get three musicians, and we'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> how, unlike, how unlike the way people make records nowadays is that? So, you know, he, he got three musicians. One of them was Kenny Buntry, the guy you... Kenny Buntry... Kenny Buntry was on John Wesley Harding, wasn't he? John Wesley Harding. Kenny Buntry is the guy that plays one of the most familiar bits of drumming for anybody who watched television in the 70s. We said you played the drums on Stone Fox Chase. Oh, yeah. By Area Code 615, which is the, the old Grey Whistle Test thing. Yeah. You know, so everybody's familiar with Kenny Buntry. Um, but I love I love that drum sound. I love the sound, the whole sound of Harvest. But the thing that struck me is is here's Rufus Wainwright and all these people doing Harvest 51 years after it was originally done. And and you, you're forced to reflect, is it possible that recording that kind of record was kind of perfected at that point, and there's hardly anything you can do 50 years later. If you were, I don't know, maybe the same thing would apply if you tried to remake The Godfather, also you know, made about that time, 50 years later. What would you possibly do to improve, improve in inverted commas, The Godfather? You know, so you much of that is to do with the, the technology, isn't it? It's, it's the, it's the analogue sound of those musicians and the spontaneous sound and the fact that they're all recording together and all those things contribute, don't they? And, uh, and that so much less thought and consideration went into it. Spontaneity. No, you're right. How, how can that be improved? And yeah, that may be, may be spontaneous. It may be that it wasn't as, as, well, as spontaneous as we like to think. But, you know, I think we talked about this the other week, didn't we? and I can't remember in, in, in the context of who. You know, that if, if you'd gone back 50 years before 
harvest you're in 1921 yeah <laughs> and and you know recording changed out of all proportion in those 50 years it hasn't changed similarly in the subsequent 50 years unless you're talking about you know the introduction of electronic instruments and the kind of post Giorgio Morodo way of making records we did very different kind of records you know because they because they involve instruments that weren't available earlier on you know but but if you if you're making a Neil Young type harvest record with an acoustic guitar and a bass and a and a drummer there's not a lot you can add to it 50 years later not is there? remotely it'd be like it'd be like it's like trying to kind of re-record the band's second album or something. You know, the whole the whole joy of that was it was just all done. Was it, it was a kind of woodiness, wasn't it? It's organic sound. Yeah, and uh, but it, it doesn't make you think. It doesn't make you wonder about about recording. You know, that um, do you, do people still listen to record new records and go, wow, that's a new sound I've never heard before. I don't know. Do they? They might. Well, they might in 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 uh, you know out out uh, uh, areas of electronic music that you and I probably don't listen to. I'm sure they do, but uh, but but not not in our not in our area. I don't think. No, no, no. I have the chart here. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mark? Go on. From uh, the 5th of June, 1953, which was the uh, the week of the, the previous coronation of my lifetime. Not that I remember anything about it, and I want to. You were how old? Two. <laughs> I was coming up three. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I don't really remember. I, I know I was told that we went 
who went across the road to Mrs. Marsden to watch it because she had a television and nobody else obviously had a television. Yeah, my elder sister said the same thing. And, watch and, it in, and so it was in black and white, of course. Of course it would be. So all, the, all the kind of, uh, all, the, all the uniforms and all the gold coaches and stuff. What completely a complete lost. Out. I know. Completely lost. And also, and also, and you're not, yeah, clearly you're not old enough to remember old fashioned television, but they were very small screens, you know. So if you, if you were in a room where there, there were 20 relations there, you know, you wouldn't see very much at all. You know? Yeah. Anyway, this was the, this was the top 10. Uh, that week, and I'm going to do it in reverse order. Okay. Uh, number 10, Terry's theme from Limelight by Ron Goodwin. Do you know that one, Mark? No, I don't. Number number nine, Pretty Little Black-Eyed Susie by Guy Mitchell. I think I vaguely remember that. Number eight, Song from the Moulin Rouge by Mantovani. Number seven, In a Golden Coach, There's a Heart of Gold by Dickie Valentine. And then I'm Walking Behind You by Eddie Fisher. Of course, Carrie Fisher's father is at number six. Winifred Atwell playing Coronation Rag is at number five. Uh, Nat King Cole, number four, and uh, Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me by Muriel Smith. And then in The Golden Coach, there's a Heart of Gold, another version. Another this version. One, this one by Billy, Billy Cotton and his band. Billy Cotton, of course, great-grandfather of Fern Cotton. <laughs> you know, these show business de- dynasties don't go away. Number two. And Terry's- was he father of the, of the BBC, Billy Cotton? Yeah, Billy Cotton, uh, the band leader. That's right. That I remember from the 50s and 60s was then the father of Bill Cotton, who was the big That's cheese it. of BBC television. And great, his great, his granddaughter is Fern, is yeah. Fern Cotton. And, uh, and then at number one, I Believe by Frankie Lane. I believe for every, you know, every drop of rain that falls, a, fr- a flower grows. That seems like a disappeared world. God, that's a totally disappeared world. Just interesting how many how many of those things were coronation. I'm surprised there in the Lord Kitchener record in there, actually. He would have been, you know, to celebrate the, uh, the, 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 the coronation. Vera Lynn, was it Vera Lynn's Windsor Walls? That's right. Oh, you the mean Lord, Lord Kitchener, the, Calypso, the Calypso Lord Kitchener, you mean? Yeah, that's right, exactly, because he oh, had big hits around that yeah, time. I, I would have thought he must have done some, some Yeah, I know in England, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought. But so, you know. But that, the one I remember is Winifred Atwell. Right. right. Winifred Atwell was an amazing, Winifred Atwell from Trinidad and Tobago, wasn't she? And I think had played on various uh, US service bases and got a break in, in New York and was suddenly brought over and put on the BBC and she won the Stars in Your Eyes uh, competition and it was all over the light program and she had a big hit called Bumble Boogie. Is yeah. that ringing any bells? She kind of she was made an absolute fortune out of playing boogie boogie piano. Well, she was the first to use a modern phrase, first person of color you remembered seeing on television. That's right, yeah. absolutely. And um, and, and for, first to have a, a number, first black woman to have a number one record, I think. Oh, really? In this, yeah, 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 yeah. Pro- probably. Yeah, she was. So that's the chart from uh, that's the chart from June nineteen fifty three, the previous coronation. This is the top ten from right now, this week, Mark. Ellen. You're going to say okay. we're well, going to be just as clueless about these. I want to know. <laughs> I want to know if you've heard of any of these. Number ten, uh, nines doing Tony Soprano too. 
number nine, 50-50 in Cupid. Number eight, Harry Styles. As it was, you've heard of Harry Styles. Uh, number seven, Switch Disco and Ella Henderson, React. Number six, Ed Sheeran. Uh, uh, more of him in a moment with eyes closed. And then Rima at number five with Calm Down. Louis Capaldi, Wish You the Best. Lambianca with People. And number two, David Kushner at Daylight. And at number one, Calvin Harris and Lily Goulding. And miracle. How many of those? How well, many of those? I, I, know, I know quite a few of those. Uh, those particular calling artists, but don't know the. Can't say that I know the record. No, no, we are somewhere. There we See, go. See that charts are for either for the for the they're not for the very young and they're not for the people our age. Clearly, I interviewed the Pet Shop Boys this week for Radio Times, and and we talked about the charts. And Chris said, "When do do they still have a chart? Pretty much, you know." When, when does it come out? And Neil said, well, it comes out on Friday with great confidence. But I don't think he was too sure, really. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, that's the whole thing that the whole music business used to entirely revolve around. So even the Pet Shop Boys are <laughs> completely aware really when the shot sure. comes out. And it just makes no difference at all, does it? No difference at all. So Ed Sheeran was in, in that chunk. We were talking about Ed Sheeran last week weren't we yeah uh, about the court case and what is court case uh, delighted to say he's won his court case uh, so am I I'm thrilled I thought it was very brave of him to make that announcement which of course was massively pilloried wasn't he he was on social media when he said that if he didn't win he was going to give up yes so that's quite a bold thing to do he must have been unbelievably confident he was going to win yes and I he suppose. did win and I thought that was terrific actually yeah, good news. Yeah. And we may see fewer of those uh, of those cases coming forward. What was interesting was that none of those news stories reported on how much uh, the Marvin Gaye estate, who accused him of stealing uh, what, from what's going on, would have had to pay. Wonder, wonder what the settlement was, because that's always interesting, isn't it? That that's the deterrent. If they finish up with a guy having to pay two million. Well, they, they, they'll. I mean, they'll just get. They'll just have to pay their costs, won't they? Really, and uh, you know they'll. The people, it's lawyers. It's probably no win, no fee. Yeah. Um, type arrangement. You're listening to the Word Podcast, where the time is whenever you want it to be. Well, occasionally we both dig out things from our record collections that we've rediscovered. I'll tell you what I rediscovered this week, actually, for no reason at all. It's not some anniversary or any of that. It's Bonnie Raitt. <laughs> Bonnie Raitt, I used to love in the mid 70s. I, I still do, actually. There's a fan I saw in 2016, I think, and that was with Odin. And uh, I just used to absolutely adore her. And it's it just interesting because I was reading about her not long ago and I didn't know that much about her, actually. And it's funny how you can never tell with Americans, you can never kind of read much about their background in the way that you can looking at British people. British people, you understand their accents, you can work out where they're from and there's a kind of class association with it. And I had no idea that she was as posh as she was. Did you know that? Well, her father, father was a big Broadway star. Wasn't yeah, he was. John Raitt. He That's was right. The, he was the man who sang Oh, What a Beautiful Morning in Oklahoma. That's exactly that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was a musical director and a star, and her mum was, a, 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 I think, a professional pianist. And her whole life was full of kind of going to summer camp in the Adirondacks. She went to Harvard University, which I had no idea, actually. Lead singer in a campus music group called the Revolutionary Music Collective. <laughs> and she had this incredibly fast ascent. She just started doing the odd gig and she supported, I think it was Mississippi Fred McDowell. Yes, it was. Festival, yeah. And she was covered. So somebody in Newsweek wrote about it and somebody in the a and Warner Brothers was reading Newsweek and just thought, let's go and sign her up, you know. It's amazing how quickly people's, the appetite for people 
like that was so enormous and and and, and there weren't that many of them doing it you know and uh, but i remember going to see her and i suppose it would have been about 1975 and she had an album called give it up do you remember that record mm. and on that was a song called love has no pride which actually she didn't write it was a soul blues written by eric, eric katz exactly who was her um her piano player i think at the, on, on, in, in the band at the time like I remember going to see her and see her playing that. And uh, she was going out with the bass player of the band, Freebo. Do you remember Freebo? Amazing yeah. looking guy. He looked a bit like Frank Zappa. Occasionally played the acoustic bass, i.e. the tuba. He, he looks like a member of the fabulous Furry Freak Brother. Yes, he did. That's what Freebo looked like. He, he did, he looked, absolutely. He looked like an illustration. That's the important thing about him. You know, you could draw Freebo. You, know, you could. I could draw Freebo. With his anyway, massive yeah. moustache and his, 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 his afro. Yeah. That yeah. is terrific. No, but, so I've just been rediscovering that. I've been listening to that record, Giving Up by Bonnie Ray, and just thinking how amazingly good it is. Do you know what the key thing about Bonnie Ray, I think? think? She, she was and in the news recently, wasn't she? Go on, yeah. Well, she, yeah, she's, uh, she won a Grammy, I think, at the last, uh, yeah. the last Grammys for a, a song called uh, Just Like That. Well, she didn't, did she write it? Yes, I think she did. And and this is based on on the story on the true life news story about a woman who lost her son in an accident of some kind, and uh, and gave permission for his organs to be donated. Oh yeah, and right. then went and heard the heart or something like this. So, you know, the idea that she embraces the the person who's been the beneficiary of this donation and, and can can hear the heart of her son in another child. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, this obviously appealed to Bonnie Wright as a way to write a song. You know, the, the, the thing that strikes me about Bonnie Wright, and as you say, a lot of her songs that she's most associated with she didn't write, like Love Has No Pride yeah. and, uh, and Too Long at the Fair and... Uh, I can't make you love me. I think I would go so far as to say she is the greatest singer of sad songs I've ever heard in my life. Oh, that's good. She is. There is. And listen. More than the McGarrigals? Sad. Yes. Even more. Sadness is something that all singers like to think they can project. And we've got used you know, to to the signs that somebody's trying to signal just how sad they are. <laughs> Very often, the harder they try, the yep. less sad it sounds. I'm now emoting. <laughs> I'm now emoting. Whereas Bonnie Wright just has that gear that she can absolutely convince you of what she's singing about. And, you know, there is that, that I've already mentioned it, that wonderful song, I Can't Make You Love Me. I don't think she wrote it. I can't make you love me if you won't. Oh, God. I can't make your heart feel something it won't. And honestly, she she could crumple me up. You know. Oh, completely. She, well, she Love Has seen, No Pride's the same. Yeah, it's the same thing. Said that the, the, the middle eight in Love Has No Pride, I always think, was the, was the greatest chord sequence and the most moving thing. And it's Love Has No Pride, the whole concept of that is that you're helpless in these situations and you're making a complete fool of yourself. You're exposing yourself, and you're you you you, you know you're, you're feeling kind of idiotic, and, and there's, but there's nothing you can do about it. You're so hopelessly besotted. It's have you heard Have you heard a version of John Prine's "Angel from Montgomery," which is no. a wonderful John Prine song? And she and I love John Prine, but I think I prefer Bonnie Wright's version. 
And I think the, the verse is, I am an old woman named after my mother. My old man is another child that's grown old. If dreams were lightning and thunder were desire, this old house would have burnt down a long time ago. Fantastic. Fantastic verse. That's brilliant. Brilliant you can remember that. Oh, she, she sings it so well. And, you know, you, you can go through all the records. And the records can be up and down, you know, and they've very often been times, you know, she's had commercial success, you know, Luck of the Draw and, um, oh, what was it, Nick of Time, which yeah. was, you know, which was the record that quite late in the day made her a big commercial success. So so there's always part of her that's always looking for the big radio record in the United States. And then sometimes you think, oh, don't bother, just sing. And... um she made a recent record where I think four tracks were produced by Joe Henry. And the, those four tracks are absolutely fantastic because they sort of don't have the polish, really, that um, that she has some of the it rest so of the time. when she got that Grammy and she was um, she was building lots of newspapers and she is as kind of unknown blues artist. Or oh, something I Because they just had, had no handle on her at all. The idea that she'd been around for 50-odd years has made no difference at all, you know. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, so so that's, our, that's our tip for rediscovery this week. And, you know, we do this because, as we've frequently remarked, nowadays with streaming, we all have the same record collection. So you can't complain that you don't have it to go and listen to. So, you know. Um, try, try Love Has No Pride by Bonnie Raitt. See what can't makes you wrong. cry. Can't go wrong. The Word Podcast. Fix yourself a drink and it's like being in the pub. So, any other business, we're joined by Alex Gold. Hello, Alex. Hello there. Are you well? Hey-ho. I am indeed well. I've been home for a whole week, for the first time in about, I don't know, 27 years. It's been great. Very nice. Very nice. You went to the pub last night, didn't you, Alex? On your own? I did. I I just fancied a pint, so I went for one. Did you uh, have just one? I had more than one in the end. Uh, actually, actually, a pal of mine joined me. Um, he, 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 an old pal stopped by, so I, I, that's not going been to rude. a pub on your own. Yeah, well, I did originally. So I've only but, done that a couple of times. It's actually very pleasant. No, I had I, I had one on my own. It was it was joyful. Then my pal just happened to be in the area and, and pa- passed by. It would have been remiss of me not to have another one. Yeah. So uh, I did the right thing. When have you done? When have you done it, Mark? I've done it about twice in my life. <laughs> and I, I'm trying to think what the occasions would have been. I think I just, I, I just wandered off. There's a little pub down by the river in Chiswick here, and I just went off and had a little pint on my own. Looked out the window, watched the boats. Very pleasant, actually. It's a lovely feeling. And uh, yeah, yeah, as long as you can get over the embarrassment of being in a pub on your own, that's the first thing, because that's not something you're, you're used to. You feel that you're 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 standing out, and people are thinking, "Is is this Billy No Mates?" You know. Yeah. I, th- I think it's quite freeing, actually. You know, you're doing it this just, just because you can. And that's, Absolutely. That's a good thing. Yeah, Absolutely. That's yeah. a good thing. Um, my, my local, where I, I go to suffer along with Spurs on, you know, when the football... Oh, the dog and the dog. Yeah. They, um, old school Irish pub, you know, Irish landlord and so forth. I've been going in there for years. And... Uh, and it was the only pub in London, seemingly, that didn't take credit cards. So you always had to make sure you had the cash there. Because you know, Don, wow. Don was the old, the old yeah, landlord yeah. and he, he didn't take credit cards. 
And, um, and so I was happy to comply with that. Tragically, during lockdown, the landlord, he had a heart attack and died. Oh, oh, my God. So the place changed hands. Now what's the thing they don't take? Cash. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, instant transformation. You know, everybody goes to the bar with their credit cards. And they kind of really flummoxed if anybody's got any cash. They've got no change or whatever. And, of course, what do you also notice when people move from cash to credit cards? The prices go up like yeah. crazy. Because, you know, if people aren't looking at how much money's gone out of their wallet, you know, you can charge them a lot more money. And you spend more. Because there's something about actually spending cash, which is very uh, oh. very restraining. <laughs> you think you're Absolutely. actually parting with money. You think, Absolutely. Do I really need this? My God. Well, talking yeah. of cash, I uh, decided uh, to take up some driving lessons, finally, uh, because the road needs me. And um, I'm having my first one next week. And I have been asked to pay... In cash, wow, because the instructor does not accept bank transfers, apparently. Wow. And uh, I don't know what to think about that. It's bizarre. I don't carry and cash on me. It's, I've got to go out, and I, you know, I live in a little hamlet. I've got to go out in somebody else's car <laughs> and <laughs> get some cash out somehow. Uh, so, so tell me, how much, how much is a single driving lesson? £32 an hour. I'm going for two hours, actually. So I've so got to get 60, yep, £60 pounds in cash out. Um I can still remember my driving lesson so vividly. <coughs> Mirror manoeuvre. Did you get those things, Dave? Yeah, yeah Clutch yeah. to the biting point. Yes. I remember all the phrases. This my time. father and I used it. My father initially taught me, and we used to argue. God, we fell out so badly over over learning to drive. You know, clutch control was one of those things. I can remember it's one of those things where I thought I will never ever be able to do this. You know, and then once you've learned, you think. I will never, ever forget this. I know. I'll always be able to do it. It is literally like riding a bike, isn't it? it I can remember don't... teaching my eldest lad. He must have been about, I don't know, 18 or 19 or something. He wanted to, to, to take a lesson, you know. And at that stage, your you know, relations could be a bit strained. Oh. But it was so wonderful, the two of us being in the car, because he was so dependent on me. And we went back to our old relationship, you know, of him actually being very respectful of everything I had to say. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. I took him to the most difficult places in London. We did Hyde Park Corner. We did uh, Oh Tub God, you, Ridge. you did oh, yeah, Hyde Park Corner. He Hyde drove Park down to Hyde Park Corner with uh, an L plate. I thought if you can get around Hyde Park Corner, he will pass his test. As indeed, that's incredible. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, I put him in the deep end. Wow. Oh, Hyde Park Corner is still quite something, isn't it? It's is terrifying. Know, every time I go near there, I think God. I would. Well, I, I do drive around there very occasionally. And it's still the ultimate test in London, that is, you know. Terrifying. Anyway, Frankie goes to Hollywood. Frankie goes to Hollywood. Yeah, they're reforming. We're recording on the Sunday, May the 7th, I think. And I think they're recording, reforming tonight, aren't they, for the Eurovision party? I I think it's quite a big deal. All of them? Uh, All five of them. They're all still with us. And they last played together 36 years ago. Isn't that astonishing? Wow. I know. And they had a massive falling out where uh, Holly, in fact, sued ZTT, the record company, and, and won for, for, a, for a contract, he said, constituted restraint of, of, of trade. But two interesting things about them, I think. One is that, um, is that in, the, in the interim, in 1998, a group calling themselves Frankie Goes to Hollywood were touring America, this guy, uh, this, uh, led by an American using the name Davy Johnson, who claimed he was Holly's brother. Do you remember this story? No, I don't. Yeah, yeah. And he said he was he was an uncredited musician on Welcome to the Pleasure Dome. 
<laughs> they were sued, obviously had to desist. The other thing I think is interesting is what Nash is doing now. Holly's still making the occasional record. Paul Rutherford lives in New Zealand, kind of pretty much given up recording, I think. Uh, Marco Till lives in, in, in South Florida. He's in a band called Trapped by Mormons. Ped Gill still does the old appearance, you know, but Nasher, who was the guitar player, is now a member of the Fellowship of Professional Celebrants. Yes. And he's a celebrant overseeing funerals and weddings. He said, I've hosted and accompanied a, a variety of events and award ceremonies and talent competitions. And he said, uh, and, his, and his motto, of course, is, 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 is shout line is, let me bring the power of love to your occasion, which is pretty bizarre, isn't it? That's good for him. That's great. That's you, a problem. You could do that, Mark. You'd be very good. You'd be a very good celebrant. Um, he was he was amazing. I remember when I went on the road with Frankie Gotolo in 1985 for the San Remo Pop Festival. I was once on a plane with them, Duran Duran, Chaka Khan, Spandau Ballet, Talk Talk, Sade, Bronze and Bronski Beat all on the same plane. And Nash was very, very funny. Had all these expressions like, I feel as rough as a, as a scrapyard Alsatian. Not, <laughs> enough, not enough blood in my alcohol stream. He described people as having a face like a welder's bench. <laughs> Anybody he didn't like, so it was right in line for a pair of steelies. Oh, God. But I, I remember feeling really sorry for him because in his predicament and for the other three members of the back line of Frankie Goes to Hollywood was really unique, I think, because the press weren't interested in them. They were really just interested in Holly and the waspish and camp things that, you know, Holly had to say. Um, they weren't on the record no. <laughs> because famously Trevor Holland recorded them all jumping into a swimming pool and used that sample at some point in one of the tracks. That was the only point where the, the three guys in the back line actually appear on the record. And they weren't they weren't playing live. They were just miming, so they weren't even required to play an instrument live. Remember when they appeared at, at, at San Remo, they, he and Marco Till swapped instruments. Nobody cared. So I felt really sorry for him, actually, you know, because, you know, not not required to do press, not required to perform live. Not required. You're completely redundant. Except, look. Let's look on the bright side. <laughs> you, you're, you're a touring member in inverted commas of a band who has number one records all over the world and is the talk of the world. And the two lead men out front are both gay. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. what are you going to benefit from? You're going to benefit from all the female attention will come to you through oh, your Lord back. And you, no, will not, you will not be wasting any time on sound checks or anything like that no, or you tuning your instruments. You know, there'd be a lot of, a lot of hopping on, true. I would imagine, taking a place. A huge amount of hopping on. No, I think, I think he probably uh, did very well in that respect. And, uh, and uh, you know, and I, you can't you imagine they must be still making some money from it because all the big hits have got the, the uh, co-writing credit for all of them, apart from Paul Rutherford, I think. But so they're still getting money from whenever those records are played. And they may, who knows, they might re reform after this because uh, once people see him again, there might be a, a, the old affection might be rekindled. But I'm just not quite sure if people have the same devotion to them as they did. They like the records, but did they like the band? I don't know. It's not like Duran Duran, Spandau Ballet, real powerful relationships with the, with the members of the group. But we shall see. Yeah, they're meant to be playing tonight. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Hey. 